Uh, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. Great for those of you who are able to join us online. Uh, we're, we're working through the book of Acts. And before we jump into our, what we've got for this morning, I want to just reiterate a challenge that we've been saying is that we want, we want to challenge people to be reading the book of Acts together. And so some of you have done that, and, and, and there's lots of ways to do it. There's not a right way to do it, but I want to just challenge you to be reading together. Right? And so I know some of you are like gung-ho, like let's chapter a day, let's get through it, 28 days, done with Acts. Uh, we're going to be in Acts pretty much through the rest of this year, so you've got time. All right? So if you're one of those people who wants to do like, hey, you know what, maybe a chapter a week, doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe it's simply this. Next week we're going to be the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5. Maybe just read that this week. And so over the next couple of days you can just be reading over that. And so that way when we gather next week and we read through, and, and Pastor Matt's going to be teaching on chapter 5, maybe you're just so familiar with it. And that, that's part of the desire, right, is that we just are, are become more and more familiar with God's Word and read God's Word together. So I just want to challenge you on that. Uh, and let's, let's do that together. Let's be reading God's Word together. So this week we're, we're chapter 4, but it, it really is just the continuation of, the, of what we talked about last week. So if you were here with us last week, uh, Pastor Matt read and uh, taught from chapter 3 where we see this story of Peter and John going to the temple. All right, they went to the temple simply to pray. And on their way in, they, they see this beggar who's who asking for help. He's a, a lame man laying outside the temple begging. And, and Peter and John interact with him and, and heal him, miraculously heal him. And this guy gets up and starts jumping and, and leaping and running into the temple just praising God. Right? And as he does it naturally, right, if you've been going to the temple every day for most of your life, and you see this guy laying outside unable to walk, and all of a sudden he's running around jumping, you gather around. So people gathered. <clears throat> and as they gathered, Peter and John took the opportunity to say, hey, it's not us. Let me tell you about Jesus. And they preached. And that was, that was all of chapter 3. Well, chapter 4, we pick up right at the end of that story. Peter and John are still in the temple teaching all the crowds. And, and we see kind of the aftermath of what happened. Really, this is, the, this is the beginning of persecution in the church. We see it through the rest of the book of Acts. As we read through, you're going to continually see this, that as the church forms and as, as people surrender their life to Jesus, persecution comes in. And people have a problem with the message that's being shared. Because much like it was with Jesus as he was in his earthly ministry, Jesus went around and he healed people. Most of the time, people didn't have any problem with him healing people. Jesus did all these miracles. People didn't have a problem with the miracles. They, they had problems with what he taught, that he was the Messiah. And in the same way, people didn't have a problem with this guy getting healed, but it was when the disciples started to talk and point to Jesus that they had a problem. So we pick up this story, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I encourage you to, to read along with me. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So again, Peter and John in the temple teaching, crowds are gathered, and, and towards the end of the day, the, the chief priests and the temple guards come up and, 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 and stop it. 
Because right? something's going on. They don't, don't know exactly what's happening here. These people are talking about the resurrection of the dead and Jesus. That's, we don't want that happening, so we don't know exactly what to do. But it's the end of the day. We can't gather the, the Sanhedrin together to, to sort this all out. So spend the night in jail. We'll take care of it in the morning. All right, so Peter and John go in jail. And it says, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So after spending a night in jail, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. These are, these are the religious elite, the rulers, right? And again, in, in our day, we can't quite, have, we don't have a great comparison in American culture. Right? But th these were, this was the high priest and all the religious rulers, right? Israel was under the rule of Rome, so Rome had appointed governors and those kind of things, but they allowed the high priest to still run things. And so they, they ran culturally, they ran everything religiously, they, they had authority Oh, this was the rulers. And Peter and John are brought before him. Okay, and this is the same group of people, this, this Sanhedrin that Peter and John are standing in front of. Just months before, these were the same people who tried Jesus and handed him over to Pilate and asked for Jesus to be crucified. This is the same group of religious leaders, the authority that Peter and John now stand before. Right, this is the same group of people. They, they knew all of what had happened with Jesus. Even in Matthew 28, 11 through 15, th this is the same group of people who bribed the Roman guards who would, whose job it was to guard the tomb. And the resurrection happened, and the Roman guards go to the Sanhedrin and be like, they tell them what happened. There was an earthquake. There was an aid. Like, something happened. And the Sanhedrin tells us, like, well, we, we need to stop this. So tell everybody that the disciples stole the body and we'll cover for you. Right? This is the same group of religious leaders who worked so tirelessly to, to shut down Jesus and to stop the rumors. And now they're standing here with Peter and John in front of him. And they ask him this question. By what power or what name did you do this? And here's the response, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So the first thing that we come to in, in this account, the, the first point that I want you guys to hear is this, is that in spite of the persecution, right, in spite of being thrown in jail, in spite of being threatened, here's the disciples' response. Any opportunity, we share the gospel. They seized the opportunity the day before when the lame man was healed and the crowd gathered around saying, hey, what's going on? 
what's happening here? And they're like, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is God. Like they, they preached the gospel. And now, standing before the religious authority, standing there in front of the, the Sanhedrin, they answered that same question. And you notice that Peter, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Peter, we've talked about before. Peter, this guy who pre-Holy Spirit is brash and foolish. Now he's filled with boldness. And when asked by these religious authority, he says, proclaims the truth, proclaims the gospel. He says, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Right? He calls them out. You crucified him. He said, but God raised him from the dead. And then he quotes the prophets to him and points it at them. He says, the, the, the stone which you rejected. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter and John didn't seek to defend themselves. They didn't care for themselves, right? They, they had the opportunity. It was like, well, this guy was healed. Like, they could have gone with the whole, like, look, we helped somebody route. Like, why, why does it matter what happened? Like, look at what happened. This guy's, this guy's healed. Praise God, right? They could have just gone with that route or started to defend themselves or backed off, but no, they, st they stood in. It was like, no, they proclaimed the truth. They didn't care about themselves. They cared about the name of Jesus. And all they did was answer the question asked of them. I love that about this exchange. They just said, by what name? And it, they answered with boldness. They proclaimed the truth. They lived out what Peter would later write as a challenge to all the, all the churches. Right, in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter wrote, he said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that, that was Peter's challenge to the churches, and he lived it out right here. What's the hope that I have? What's, what's the answer? Let me, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Any opportunity... We need to point people to Jesus. Anytime people question, then we need to be able to give a defense for the hope that we have. We need to be ready to answer. And it goes on in, in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, I love this little, little passage, right? Because as the Sanhedrin watches Peter and John's response, they took note of him. And what did they notice? These, these are regular people. These are unschooled people. They've got no training, no talent. These are, we've taught, like, these are Galileans. They're fishermen. And here they stand before the Sanhedrin, the, before the religious authority, before the rulers, and they speak with boldness, and they were amazed because they're like, the only defining characteristic that we can find in these people is that they've been with Jesus. 
Right? It wasn't about, man, these guys were just so eloquent. Man, it wasn't that, man, they've been, they know everything. They've been trained. They, they can quote scripture. No, they have been with Jesus. That was the defining characteristic of the disciples. There wasn't anything special about them. No gifted speech, no talent. They had been with Jesus. That, that leads me to just ask the question, what, what do people say of me? Right? When people interact with me, are, are they wowed by my talents, my abilities, my, my amazing humor, whatever it is, right? Is, is there any of those things? Or is it, they're like, man, that guy's been with Jesus. What about you? When people interact with you, can they tell that you've been with Jesus? Because our goal is disciples. Our, our goal as followers of Jesus is to be with Jesus. Right? And if we spend time with Jesus, it should show. When people think about the church, when they think about you, when they think about Hope Church, what do they say? They say, those people, they're, they're just so loving. They are full of joy. Man, there's just this peace about them. They're just so incredibly patient and kind. I don't know how to describe it. There's just goodness. They're faithful. People think about you, do they describe you as being gentle? With incredible self-control. Right, the fruit of the Spirit, we read in Galatians 5, is that just evident in your life? Do people see that in you? Right, because that's how people know that we've been with Jesus. Because if we've been with Jesus, then the characteristics that define Jesus, the fruit of the Holy Spirit should be just evident in our lives. As people spend time with us, it, it should cause me like, man, they remind me of the stories I read about Jesus. The way they love people, the way they care for people, the, their kindness, their patience. Man, it, does that define us? Because that's the thing that we would, our desire is to be known as people who've been with Jesus. Not as people who know all the right answers and can argue anybody to the death, right? We don't want to be people who are known as being just incredibly wise. Like, those things are all great, but they don't measure up to the standard. Are we people who, who, who've been with Jesus? Right, really, part of the challenge of that, that first point, right, of being ready to give a defense, give an answer for the hope we have, is that our lives should cause people to ask questions. Right, are you living in such a way that people are like, how, how is it that in the midst of all this, you just, you're just incredibly patient. Like, I've lost my temper like 70 times. What's, what's going on with you? And it gives you an opportunity to say, look, it's not me. It's Jesus. I used to be that way, but Jesus is changing me. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is refining me. 
We should live in such a way that, that people see Jesus. Because that's, that's what the Sanhedrin saw in Peter and John. They saw people, they were like, these people have been with Jesus. It wasn't just like, hey, I remember back when Jesus was walking around, those guys were there too. They saw something in them that reflected Jesus. So what does the Sanhedrin do? We're picking up in verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And they conferred together, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Peter and John stumped the Sanhedrin. Right? Again, not because of their incredible intellect and their incredible oratory defense of themselves. Right? They, were, they weren't incredible lawyers. It was just simply this. They were speaking the truth. They were reflecting Jesus. The Sanhedrin was like, we don't know what to do. We can't deny this. All of Jerusalem, like most of the people were here yesterday and they saw this guy. Right? He's standing right here in front of the Sanhedrin now. He's right there, clearly healed. All the people in Jerusalem who didn't hear about it yesterday are going to hear about it today. The word is going to get out that something miraculous has happened, something good has happened. They didn't know what to do. So their solution was, we just got to, we've got to stop this. Right? Just like they did with the Roman guard who came back and said that Jesus, <laughs> the tomb was empty. They're like, well, we've got, we got to stop this from spreading. We just got to tell them they can't speak about Jesus anymore. So they called him in, verse 18. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Here's the, the third thing about being a disciple. Is that disciples recognize that God's authority is supreme in their life. See, it's not like, oftentimes we talk about Jesus as being our Savior. Jesus saved me. Jesus loved me. Jesus healed me. But, but Jesus wants to be more than your Savior. He, 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 he's your Lord. Hey, that's, that's part of, of this whole understanding of discipleship is that, that we're, not, we're not just hanging out with Jesus. We're following Jesus. Right? We don't want to just have a buddy in Jesus. Right? We need to have a Lord in Jesus whose authority is supreme. His authority reigns. And Peter and John got that. This is why Peter and John just... The last one, right? It was why they were able to stand before the Sanhedrin and just proclaim the truth. They didn't care about themselves because they understood authority. They understood that God's authority mattered in their life. And so when they're warned and instructed to stop speaking in Jesus' name, they simply said, no, we have to obey God. Right? What do we do? Do we obey you? Like, again, I, I've been thinking about it. There, there's just no way to, to compare in, in our American culture the, the power and the authority that the Sanhedrin held over these guys. 
We don't have anything that compares to that. Right? For them to stand before these people who had authority over their lives, had authority and had power to, to command them to throw them in prison, to ruin the rest of their lives, to have them executed. And they stand there and like, who are we going to obey? You or God? The choice is clear. We're going to obey God. We are not going to stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Because Jesus is Lord. His authority matters. You see, because when they surrendered and gave their life to Jesus, they handed over authority. And that's the mark of a disciple, right? Is that, that, that when we come to that point where we're like, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. I know that I cannot do this on my own. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have what it takes I need you. We surrender our life to him. We count that everything that Jesus did for us on the cross is, is what we need. And so we accept that. But in doing so, we surrender our authority that Jesus is Lord in our life. That's why Peter and Paul and in the epistles, you keep seeing this, this analogy that that. The, the disciples, the apostles call themselves slaves of Christ or slaves to the gospel. They recognized this about themselves, that they had given up authority. They had given up control. They had given up autonomy. In Romans 6.15, Paul writes, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that you has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. We go down to Romans 6.22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Right? We, we are, are slaves to something. We are obedient to whatever master that we follow, and it's giving us a choice. We're either slaves to sin or slaves to God. Right? And often we talk about freedom. I've been, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer enslaved to the ways of this world. I've been set free. But our freedom is tethered in Christ. Our freedom is, is slaves to Christ because we've surrendered authority to him. And then what was that verse in verse 17, right? This new teaching this has now claimed your allegiance. Our allegiance is to Christ. That's the defining mark of a disciple, right? This is why we, we pick up our cross daily. It's the burden that we bear. We, we are under the authority of Christ. We trust him. Ultimately, discipleship is simple, Discipleship is really, really, really simple. Being a follower of Jesus is really simple. It's simply this. No matter what the question, I don't know the question, I don't know the situation, but the answer is whatever Jesus says because he's my authority. I don't know what you're going to ask or I don't know what problem I'm going to be faced with, but the answer is whatever Jesus says. His word is now my authority. I've surrendered my will and I'm claiming Jesus' way. 
I don't understand it. I'm going to struggle through it, right? I still have a sinful nature that I'm constantly battling, right? As I seek to bring that under submission to Christ. But Jesus is my Lord. He has authority in my life. He gets to call the shots. And my desire is to follow him. My desire is to be transformed and refined to imitate him. So we get to this point of whatever situation we're faced with, who are we going to obey? God or man? Which way are we going to yield to what people want us to do or what God says to do? A disciple says, I have no choice but to be obedient to God because my allegiance is with Him. Verse 21, After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So the Sanhedrin warns them again, threatens them, you need to stop this. But then they let him go. You see, this is normally where the story ends. Right? For, for, for us, when we talk about the story, this is normally where we stop. Because that's a lot. Right? Already. Right? This idea of always being ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. And the fact that we should be living in a way that reflects Christ. That we've been people who've been with Jesus. So people question us that we give a defense. Right? And this whole idea of, of lordship of Christ in our life, that as a disciple, I'm under the authority of Christ. Those are, all, those are three big pills to swallow. Right? Those are, I, I said discipleship is simple, and it is, but it's incredibly hard. Right? It's a lifetime of dying to my own will and surrendering to Christ. Right? It's a lifetime of, of, of the Holy Spirit having freedom in life to refine me to, to imitate Jesus. And so it's a lot, but there, there's, there's a piece that's missing. And I think it's key for us. Because oftentimes, again, we hear this message and there's these challenges that we know that, it, that it's, a, it's a challenge for us to live as disciples and to be obedient to this. But there's this huge missing component, that I think, especially for those of us in the American church, that we struggle with and we miss out. Listen to what Peter and John did. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, here's the, here's the, the challenge that we run into. Is we've bought into this idea that as Christians, it's about me and Jesus. It's my relationship with Jesus. Right? And so we, we try to live as these like Lone Ranger Christians who we, we get a little bit of teaching here and we hear something here and we just kind of piece this all together and it's all about my relationship with Jesus. And we miss out on being part of the church. Right? That it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about us. God's people. God gave us one another. He gave us the church because we need one another. We need each other. We can't do it on our own. Look what Peter and John do, right? The moment they're released, what do they do? They go and find the other believers. They go and find everybody else, right? And they're probably all together because a bunch of them have probably been in the temple with them the day before. A bunch of people have probably seen the miracle happen and, and were part of the crowd gathered around praising God for his healing of this man. They were there when Peter and John were teaching. Right? Some of them probably saw them get arrested. Right? Some of them probably, if they had enough clout, were probably there sitting in the, the gallery watching the Sanhedrin debate. Right? They, they, they knew what was going on and they were praying for him. Right? We can... We can Assume that right? in Acts 12, we see another story where Peter's arrested. And then in the middle of the night, we'll get to that in like a couple of months when we get to Acts 12, right? But when, when Peter, in the middle of the night, an angel comes and, and helps him escape, like walks him out of the prison. And what's Peter do? He goes to the house and all the believers are together praying. And so Peter and John go find the believers. They tell him everything that happened. L listen to what God did. Let me tell you what God did. You see, our, our testimony should be used to encourage the church. And this is something that I think we miss all the time. We don't share our testimony to encourage one another. Right? We don't share what God has been doing as a way to encourage and inspire each other. Because that's what happens when we hear what God is doing. It encourages us. It emboldens us, right? Look at the disciples. They come back. They hear Peter and John's response. What do they do? They praise God. They worship, and then they pray, and they ask God for boldness because they know what's coming, right? What happened to Peter and John is probably going to happen to them. They know that people are going to question them. They know that, and so they pray, God, give us boldness to proclaim your truth. Give us boldness to share the hope that we have in you. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. You see, when we share our testimony, when we share what God is doing, it's another opportunity for us to take the spotlight off of us and put it back on God where it belongs. And I, I know for me, it's one of those things that I, I, I kind of ingrained in me that, that I don't ask for help. I don't share the things that I need, but, but when I don't do those things, it also... It prevents me from being able to share the crazy thing that God's doing. Here's how God has answered prayer. Here's how God has provided. Here's how God has done those things. Those, those are things that we get to do as a church together. We get to encourage one another. We get to bear each other's burdens. And as we do that, we get to praise God for the way that he provides. We get to see how faithful God is. When we, get to, when we tell the stories, listen to what God's doing. Look at what God has done. 
Listen to God, how God has provided for us. Right? When we hear stories from missionaries or sees about how God is at work, that encourages our heart. It makes us excited to know that God is still at work. When we hear testimonies of people saying how God has transformed their lives, what a crazy encouragement that is to us. Right? We want to do that as a church. We, we try to incorporate it into our weekend services, right? We try to bring, find opportunities to share what God is doing because God is at work and we want to put the spotlight on Him about how God is faithful in answering prayer and God is, is changing lives. But it's not just about the stage, right? And let, let me tell you what God's doing. It's, it's for us as the church to be doing together, right? Right when we're done here, you guys will go out in, in the lobby. You can encourage that or online. You can engage with one and, and, and share how God has been answering prayer, how God has been good, how God's provided. Right? We have the opportunities as we pray and share prayer because that we can know one another's burdens and we can then celebrate when God answers prayer, when God provides, or when we see God's faithful hand. And that's what life groups are about, right? In life groups, we get to share, we get to pray together. We get to come in and excitement, guys. Guess what happened today? Guess what God did? We get to share those encouragements together. We get to embolden one another. Right? We can do it in Walmart, right? When you run into each other, be ready to share what God is doing, right? How God has provided that day, Right? Every opportunity you get, we should be able to be pointing people back to Jesus and the goodness of God. The disciples pray. They hear Peter and John's response and they pray and they recognize all these things. They recognize that God is sovereign in their life. They recognize the authority. And they ask him to give them everything they need. Because, guys, together we get to recognize Jesus. Together we get to learn. Together we get to grow. We get to encourage one another. We get to learn from one another. We get to model to one another what it means for us to follow Jesus. To be disciples who have given Jesus the authority that he deserves as Lord in our lives. So I don't know what, which step it is for you, right? What, there, there's so much here. What is it for you this week, right? Is it, is it simply that, man, I've, I've never acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. I've never surrendered to him. I've never accepted what he's done for me. And maybe that's the, that first step for you. Maybe it's, it's being ready to give a defense, right? Being ready and looking for opportunities to share the hope of the gospel and point people to Jesus, Maybe it's, it's learning more and more to live like Jesus, to spend time with Jesus so that we, we begin to reflect him to the world around us. And maybe it's being ready to share with others the, what God is doing, the faithful, good provision of our God. That's what it means to be the church. Right? Not just that we're here together to hear somebody talk, but that together we are chasing after Jesus Every day of the week, when we run into each other in the store, in the park, when we're in our life groups, online as we engage with one another on social media, right? In every opportunity, in every venue that we're chasing after Jesus, we're pointing people to the hope of the gospel. That's what we want to be as disciples of Jesus. That's what we want to be as the church. People who are chasing after Jesus together.
and pushing each other on to love the Lord and to surrender to Him in everything. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege we have to be your people. That you have rescued us, that you have called us to be your own. And Jesus, may we just learn what it means to be your disciples. May we surrender to you and give you all authority. And may we look for every opportunity to become more like you. And to point people to the hope that we have in you. And encourage one another. Jesus, may, may your church be glorified. May, may your church continually point people to you. That more and more people would come to understand the hope of the gospel. And that lives would be changed as they interact with you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.